I was nine years old and I was trying to be cool. And that could summarize a lot of my childhood, but I had an older sister who I thought was really cool. Now, looking back on it, I know that she wasn't, but back then I thought that she was the coolest thing. And my sister, Tiffany, she got to control the radio at our house. When I was growing up, we had one radio at the house and uh, for, for the whole family to listen to music to or listen to the radio. And because she was older, she got to control it all the time. And so whatever she listened to, I listened to. And because of that, that's what was cool. We used to have those little cassette tapes that we would record uh, songs from the radio on. I don't know if you ever did, it sounds illegal now, but you know, we, we used to, that's how we would have our music. We would record it off the radio and we'd go back and listen to it. And so whatever Tiffany listened to, I listened to as well, because it was cool. And so one day, one day I'm singing one of those songs and it was a real popular song. I mean, one that spent several weeks as the number one song on Billboard. And uh, I, I'm, I'm there, I'm singing the chorus and my sister comes in to my room and she says, what did you say? And I'm like, Tiffany, like, have you not heard this song? Like, this is a, this is a popular song. Like, I've heard you listen to it. Like, what do you, what do you mean, what did I say? And so she looks at me and she goes, no, no, no. She says, I said, what, what did you say? And so I started singing again. I said, you know, I said, don't go Jason Waterfalls. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. Why is that guy not on the worship team, right? You know, he sounds great. But my sister, she looks at me like this. You're an idiot, right? And I, have you ever had that moment where you thought you knew something like a song lyric and you found out you really didn't know it? Apparently, the song is not about a guy named Jason Waterfalls, but Jason Waterfalls. Common mistake. I think I'm not the only person that's ever messed that up. But that's where I found myself. That's where I solidified my coolness to my sister in that moment right there. We're looking at stories that you thought you knew. And I'll be honest, this is your classic Sunday school Bible story that you think you know. But I think today we're going to take a little bit of a closer look at what happened and you might think differently. What we'll see today actually, I think, has the potential to change your life and how you see God and have a new, and, uh, a new perspective and a new faith in God that you've never had before, this is an important story. But to understand it correctly, you gotta understand what the world was like a long time ago. You see, this story takes place in the 11th century BC, very, very long time ago. It's a story of a young shepherd boy named David, and we find it in 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, I wanna encourage you to just go ahead and turn there now or in your Bible apps and, and, and hold your place there. But David, before we meet him on the battlefield, was a shepherd. And he was also hand-selected by God to be the next and second king of Israel. And so he had this anointing service by the prophet Samuel at his house, but his dad must have not been too impressed by it because he continued to uh, take care of the sheep as his brothers went off into battle with King Saul. You see, David lived in a time of ancient warfare. In modern warfare, we kill from a distance. But in ancient warfare, you kill from an arm's Length. And there's been countless men across the history of time who have died by a sword, a spear, or a weapon that they could look into the eyes of the person who killed them. And so this is where we find ourselves. The armies of Israel had to battle off their enemies uh, from a land that God had promised there was theirs. And that's the backdrop of the story. So we have the Philistines 
who have found themselves on one hill, and we have the army of Israel who have found themselves on another hill, and we have the valley of Elah between them. It looked a little something like this. You could see the Philistine camp would be on one side, and the Israelite camp would be another side, and the valley of Elah, a nice big valley in between them. Neither army would want to venture themselves into the valley because it would expose themselves to a position of weakness. And so one army offers up a solution. And this is where we're going to pick up in the story. And so I want to encourage you, if you're able to stand with me as we're going to read a portion of this story from 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 4 and going through verse 11. Here's what it says. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. It's about 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft, the end of his spear, was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, about 15 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. All right, you guys can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. We always like to stand in reverence of God's word every week. Goliath would come out day after day, and he did this for 40 days. Israel, they needed a champion. But what Goliath proposed here was something that we would call single combat. It was a military practice in the ancient Near East where they would have one person from each army come out and battle each other to the death, and then the winner would win for the entire army, saving everyone from having to fight and, and all the bloodshed that would come of that. Single combat was actually practiced originally on the beliefs that the gods of each army actually fought and decided the battle. And so this was a big deal. So where did Israel look to fight this giant Goliath? They looked to their king, but their king didn't come out of his tent. He stayed there. He didn't want to fight. Why didn't Saul fight back is, is a huge question. We need to understand this because this applies to all of us. It's because this, unbelief will paralyze your faith. This is a major theme that we see all throughout this text. In fact, unbelief will make it so you can't see clearly. Let's start with the entire Israelite army. What a perplexing verse this is in verse 11 of what we read. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Right? What a sad description of an army. They were dismayed and terrified. But the problem here it goes back further than Goliath walking out on the battlefield. The problem here goes back actual, actually several years before this when Israel just stopped believing that God could lead them. For centuries, God had been the king of Israel. And back about 400 years before this, God had set up the nation of Israel as a theocracy, which was a nation of, of law administered by 
judges. He would be moved around in what we would call the Ark of the Covenant. It was God's presence with the people and before the people. He would guide them. He would lead them. The people would follow him. And so he sent judges and he sent prophets to rule the people by his law. In fact, this is fascinating. If you're skeptical of the Bible, if you're new to the faith, this is interesting because the Israelites were actually thousands of years before any other nation because they were governed by a moral law. And that, that wasn't around back then. But there came a time when they decided to move on and they wanted something more than God as their king. I mean, can you imagine the audacity of that? In fact, this is what we read from 1 Samuel chapter 8. It says this, when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. And so he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And by rejecting God as their king, they lost belief that God could guide them. And when you have unbelief, it's going to paralyze your faith. How do I know that's true? It says that all the Israelites that were there for battle were terrified and dismayed. In fact, if you look at the Hebrew, this word for dismayed is this root Hebrew word that's called kothath. It means to be shattered, broke, cracked, or frightened. That is the description of the Israelite army. The army was shattered. The army was broke. The army was afraid. It paralyzed their faith. And it's the reason that the king didn't even come out of his tent to see Goliath. But it's also the reason, which I find very interesting, that throughout the entire army, not one soldier dared to step up and take the challenge. I mean, just the spoils for beating Goliath were, were huge. They would have three things that we learned from the, the story that they would get. They'd get great wealth, which was a significant thing because, the, again, Saul was the very first king of Israel. And so all of a sudden, things were being taken from people. And so wealth was a very important thing. If you beat Goliath, you'd also get Saul's daughter in marriage, which would make you all of a sudden a part of the royal family, which was a significant thing. And then lastly, uh, you would get exemption. Your whole family would get exemption from taxes. And so the spoils for this was a big deal. And so don't you think with that type of loot at stake, there'd be one crazy guy in the army that says, I'll try it. I know he's tall, but I, I think I could take him. All right, call me crazy, but I think I could take him. There's not one single person in the entire Israelite army who wants to take on this battle despite what it can bring for them. Their faith was immobile. You see it again, more than the army, you see it in David's own family. You see, David was sent by his father to visit his brothers on the battlefield, to check in on them, to bring them some food. And when he gets there, he starts wondering what's happening. And then he starts uh, wondering why no one's doing anything about it. We pick up in the story in verse 28, we read this. When Eliam, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and he asked him, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came only to watch the battle. What a mean brother, right? What, what a mean brother. They were not only terrified of going out there, but they were also discouraging of anyone who showed interest in doing something. Their unbelief, even after, imagine this, even after watching David being chosen at their house by the prophet Samuel to be God's anointed king, even after watching that happen, 
They, they, they just don't believe. And so it leads them to these hurtful words. Isn't it sad how sometimes the most hurtful things can be said by those within your own tribe? Their unbelief kept them on the sideline. I think sometimes, honestly, sometimes our churches can be filled with Eliabs. People who scoff at all the things, different things that the church does or their attempts to do different things. Maybe we should just encourage anyone who's willing to step out in faith and to do something on behalf of God. I want you to see this as we begin because this is important. Goliath isn't the problem in this story. Goliath isn't the problem. He's going to be taken care of with a, with, with a stone here in a couple of verses. The problem is Israel's unbelief. All throughout Israel, from the army to his brothers, and even more than that, even their lack of trust, when you begin to see the story like this, you see the story different. The problem is not Goliath. The problem is their unbelief. And guess what? We find this in the king as well. In fact, word gets around that someone in the camp is actually talking about going out on the battlefield and seeing Goliath. And so Saul hears about this, and he brings him into the tent. We read this in verse 32. David said to Saul, he walks into the tent. He says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against a Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. You see, Saul's unbelief has not only paralyzed his faith, but he doesn't even want to give a listen to the one man or boy who's actually willing to go out and to fight. We often think of the story of David and Goliath as overcoming your fears, right? At least that's how I learned it when I was younger. But the problem here is that the fear is all of Israel. Every single person in that camp is filled with fear. They are afraid. They are terrified. They are dismayed. And guess what? They don't overcome it. They do not overcome their fear. David, David did not fear. David actually shows no fear in this exchange. I'll show you why in a minute, but we need to understand this. We need to understand and, and consider this, that unbelief will lead you to fear. And so if that is true, where's fear cost you in your life? Where, where has fear cost you in your life? A couple years ago, I went on vacation with my family, went down to Florida. My, my wife's family, they have a home uh, down there on the Gulf side and it's on a canal. A few years earlier, I asked my father-in-law to buy some kayaks and he did. And we got some kayaks that we like to go back on the canal and take a little ride. It's always something I enjoy to do until one day, one day I'm paddling through the water and on my left, I hear a rustle in the bushes and then a splash in the water. And it, and it freaked me out a little bit. I, I, was, a little, I was a little disturbed, but I, I kept going. And soon I had got to the end of the channel and I was gonna turn back around and I turned my kayak back around. And when I turned my kayak back around, I saw, I saw a crocodile head submerge under the water. Now, listen, my family calls me crazy, okay? They do. They, they think, you think I'm crazy? I saw what I saw, and I was there, okay? And it terrified me. I'd never paddled faster in my life to get out of that situation. All the way back to the dock, I got out of there, and I said, I am never, you'd ask my wife again, ask my wife, I'm not, I'm not getting back in that water. I'm not. It, it, it sidelined me. It took me a few years before I'd be able to do that again, be, be, and they think I'm crazy. They don't think I saw what I saw, but I, I was there. And listen, there is a crocodile that lives down there, 
in that water. It paralyzed me. It costs me. It sidelined me from, from doing that. And I wonder in your life, maybe more practically, where's fear cost you? What? Maybe you've been fearful of joining a home group for some reason. And it's something that you've never done. Maybe you've been fearful of confessing a sin to someone that you know that you need help with. And it's cost you. Maybe your fear is costing you more than you actually know. Maybe it's sidelined you. Maybe it's put you in the tent. Maybe it's actually even helped you discourage other people. Fear, unbelief, it will cost you. And our fears that we don't face become our limits. This is what we need to see. It will prevent you from becoming who God has made you to be. And it might cost other people as well. We are called to be people, as followers of Christ, to be people who live without this type of fear. Apostle John wrote about this as he wrote to the church. He says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect fear drives, perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. The bottom line is that we have to all, we all could learn how to trust God a little bit more and, and to believe in his goodness. But there's a little bit more to this story that we have to unfold. We have to talk about what else unbelief does. And that's this, that unbelief takes away your confidence. I want to walk through the rest of this from David's perspective because the faith and the belief that he shows in this moment is not belief in himself. It is faith, it is confidence in God. You see, one reason that Saul didn't have this uh, type of faith that he needed to have in this moment is because we learn from the scriptures that the Lord was no longer with him. God's spirit had left Saul. He was not a blessed king. In fact, it's pretty fascinating to look and to understand, if you're to read the first couple chapters of 1 Samuel, the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence before and with the people was actually not with Saul at this time. He, it, it wasn't even with them as they're in this battle. But David, God was with him and his faith gave him confidence. And so from the second he walked onto the scene and he saw what was happening, this is what he said, verse 26. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? You see, David immediately then asked, what's going to happen for whoever beats Goliath? Because, of course, whoever walks out on that battlefield is going to win. That was his belief. David was disgusted with the remarks of Goliath. Up until this point, nobody saw it this way. They were just afraid. But when their faith was gone, their confidence left as well. When you have faith, you also can have Confidence. An uncircumcised Philistine means that he was outside of God's protection. He was outside of God's, uh, the, the family of God. And so to defy the armies of the living God, David was just disgusted. And because of his faith, he decides that he will do something. Why? Well, why does David decide that? Because it wasn't about him. This was never about him. David wasn't a warrior. David didn't battle the shield wall. David didn't have scars and wounds from battle like everybody else did that was there. Why didn't any of the other soldiers have confidence in themselves to walk out onto that battlefield and to fight Goliath? Why didn't the king have the confidence? In fact, isn't that the reason that Israel wanted the king to lead them into battle? And if you remember in 1 Samuel, when Saul was chosen, we learned that Saul was a man that was a head and shoulders above anybody else in Israel. He was their giant. And yet nobody walks out there this was about David's faith in the living God. And so as he walks into Saul's tent, Saul looks at him and says, no, 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 
You're not going out there. You're just a boy. This is the exchange that we read in verse 34. David says to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine, not because of his ability. Do we all see that? Not because of his ability, but because of the Lord. David had extraordinary clarity in this moment because he knew that Goliath was defying God and that God would not lose. Somewhere along the way, David learned this truth and it guided him the rest of his entire life is that if you put your hope in the Lord, it will give you confidence because God never loses a battle. Someone should say amen to this truth. God never loses a battle. God always comes out on top. Every battle, every fight, every fight, every wrong that happens in life, God never loses, never. And so he says to Saul, Saul, pick me. I'll go out there because it's not about me. It's about him. That was David's perspective. This battle is not about me and my ability and what I can do. My confidence comes from the Lord. And so for some reason, Saul is won over by this speech and he gives David permission to go out and fight on behalf of the entire army. And after David turns around and says, I don't want your shield, I don't want your armor, I'm gonna go out there with confidence in the Lord, he walks out onto the battlefield. And as he's standing before Goliath and Goliath's shield bearer in front of him, he looks at him and he says these words. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and I'll cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. What a powerful statement that David walks out and looks face to face with Goliath and says these things. What I need you to see in all of this is that David's confidence it rests in the Lord, not himself. And I can't help but to wonder and to ask this question to all of us. Where is our confidence? Where do we find our confidence? Where do we put our trust? You see, I think unfortunately, many times we put so much of that trust and confidence in ourselves. We think that we should be able to do it. We think that we should be able to conquer it. But that's the exact reason that the king stayed in the tent and the entire Israelite army, not one of them dared to walk into the Valley of Elah and look at Goliath. Their confidence was shot because it rested in themselves. Church, what I want us to see 
is that when you put your trust and your confidence in the Lord, he will never fail you. This is the truth that we see. And you know the rest of the story. I hope you know the rest of the story. David pulls out a sling. He grabs some stones. He puts a stone in the sling. And, this is, and he starts whipping it around to gain some velocity. He launches it at Goliath, hits him right in the forehead. He falls down. David goes over there, takes Goliath's sword out of his sheath, and he cuts off his head. Sorry if you didn't know that part of the story. It's often left out of Sunday school. But that's what happens. So what does all of this mean for us today? Right? Here's the last idea I want you to see and to understand is this. Is that you are not a giant slayer. I don't want you to misunderstand me because for many years, you were probably taught the meaning of David and Goliath was that I could beat my giants if my faith was big enough. At least that's how I learned it. But that's not what the story is about. This story is a story that you thought you knew, but this story is about the truth that Jesus has defeated our giant, sin. Listen to me. You are not David in this story. And that may hurt your feelings, and I'm sorry, but it's the truth. We often, we want to identify with the victor in our stories, right? We want to identify with the person who comes out on top and say, man, if, if I can just be like that, if I can just have faith like that, then God will use me to do the same thing. But that's not what's happening here. God was with David in a very special and supernatural way. In fact, this entire scene of David and Goliath is cast in the light of representative warfare. It's not only David versus Goliath, but it's also Israel versus Felicia. And it's also the God of Israel versus the gods of the world. And when David wins, when David wins this battle, the whole nation of Israel shares in the victory, even though they didn't do anything. And friends, this all represents what Jesus has done for us with our sin. See, our sin is our giant. It's standing before us. It's taunting us. It's terrifying us because we know we can't do anything about it. We know that we can't defeat it, not by ourselves. We're the nation of Israel. We're, we're, we're helpless to defeat this giant. We are scared. We are filled with unbelief. We need a champion. We need someone to step in and to fight the battle so that we can partake in the victory. And so I want you to listen to this real close. I need all of us to understand this because this is the story. So if you're sitting next to someone who hasn't been paying attention, just give them a little nudge and say, hey, listen to this part. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he was opposed by his closest friends. He was abandoned by the ones he'd call family right before his biggest battle. But Jesus ran onto the battlefield of death with confidence in God, winning the victory on our behalf. Jesus has the belief that we don't. Jesus is our champion. Jesus is our giant slayer. And one day, one day we get to partake in his victory. And there's going to be a big party in heaven. And we're all going to be there celebrating Jesus' victory over sin and death. But you're not a giant slayer. And don't you ever forget that. This is what it looks like to walk humbly. Our confidence and our hope rests solely in the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing about us, only what he has done for us. And I want you to see this today because when you believe in God's goodness, then it, if you don't believe in God's goodness, it's gonna paralyze your faith and it will take away your confidence in life. But when you believe that Jesus has won the battle, that he 
wins every battle for us. It will give you the faith that you need to carry on in this world. It will give you the confidence that you need to do what God has called you to do in this life. Because the truth that we all land on is this, is that Jesus Christ has already won the battle. We just reap his benefits. David and Goliath is the story of one man winning the battle for everyone. Jesus is the story of one man resurrecting from the dead to save everyone. That's what this story is about. So this all leads me to ask you this question as we wrap this up. Where are you trusting in yourself more than you are God? This is so important. If you don't figure this out, if you don't answer this question before you walk out of here today, you learned a little bit more about David and Goliath, but you're probably not gonna live any differently and that would be really unfortunate. Where are you trusting in yourself more than you are trusting God? Israel, Saul, the brothers, they all, their problem was that they trusted in themselves. They trusted in their own abilities. David trusted and believed that God would do something. And so what part of your life have you neglected God to be a part of it? What part are you relying on yourself? It could be your marriage. It could be your parenting. It could be your career purpose, your happiness. Maybe it's overcoming an addiction. There's somewhere in your life where you are trusting in yourself more than you are God, and I want to challenge you to identify that. Identify that and to turn it over to him, to trust him, to have confidence in him. Because here's the bottom line. When we trust Jesus, when we trust in Jesus, everything is possible. That's the reason why you come to church When we trust in Jesus, everything is possible. If we all did this on some level, if we all trusted in Jesus in every aspect of our life, we would begin to see radical change in this world, in God's kingdom on this earth because of it. And that, my friends, is what this is all about. The story of David and Goliath can teach us many things. But more than anything, it reminds us to trust God more than you trust yourself and the world around you will be different. I want you to pray with me. Father, you are so good. And we believe in who you are. As we walk through the story of David and Goliath, it is so evident to us how you were pulling the strings and what you were doing. But Lord, help us to resist the temptation to believe that somehow we are David in this story. Help us to see clearly, help us to see clearly that it is because of Jesus Christ that each of us have an opportunity to be right with you, that he is our champion, that he is the victor, that we partake in his victory. And we are so looking forward to the day where this all comes together and we will celebrate in heaven the victory that Jesus has won. So in the meantime, Lord, please help us to put our trust in you. There are so many things in this world that it's easy to turn our trust to. That we fall back on ourselves or onto other people or or into things or substances or whatever it is. It is so easy to do that. But Lord, help us to see clearly to put our trust completely and solely in you. And that our world can be different because of it. 
We love you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus and all that he has done for us. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.